Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 52nd episode, I talk to Susanna Klepsch, co-founder of Meetfox, a platform for coaches, lawyers and other independent service professionals to schedule, meet and charge in one seamless flow. After brief stints in the tourism and automotive industry, Susanna took on sales at her father's plastics companies after he passed away. After assuming a leadership position in which she was suddenly responsible for 120 employees, she went looking for a coach. That process took so long and was so intransparent that she decided to launch CoachFox, an online marketplace for coaching services. She spent a lot of time developing the technology behind that marketplace, creating a seamless coaching experience, and then she spun out that product into a separate company, which is called MeetFox Today. That's the very short story at least. We talk about how we got to love processes, why as a small business you should do things that don't scale to compete, how difficult it is to convert freemium users, and why Susanna wishes she stuck with a niche much earlier. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, Susanna. It's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for having me today. Really excited for our call. Yeah, me too. You're um, co-founder of, of Meet Fox. For those who don't know yet, what do you guys do exactly? Exactly. So uh, Meet Fox offers individual service professionals a simple one-step solution to schedule and monetize their client meetings. Uh, what we do is we combine online scheduling with video calls and payment processing into one product and um, thereby allowing those independent professionals to accept bookings uh, from their clients and also get paid for their time. Yeah, so it's it's scheduling, it's the, the meeting software, like a Zoom or something, and it's the payment as well in one place, correct? Exactly. Yeah, I shouldn't be saying that, but it's simply uh, put a Calendly meets Zoom meets payment processing. Yeah. All one. And what we what sets us apart is the fact that you can completely customize us, completely white label us, and you can also even host the video meetings on your own website if you want to. And yeah. the fact that you can integrate all of these different components of a meeting into one product makes it just much more easy to set up and to manage your day-to-day. Right. And, and who is it that needs this, uh, this solution with, with the, the payment processing also in the same place? Yeah, so many people actually. Um, so our biggest target group are independent knowledge workers. So coaches, consultants, lawyers, financial advisors, um, therapists, right. you name it. But um, to be honest, we also have a lot of clients who are using us for free meetings. So the payment part is not necessarily obligatory. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, nice to have that in case you want to charge free meetings, you can do so. But it's definitely not a must. A lot yeah. of people are using us for sales meetings or recruiting calls and other things. I mean, everybody's nowadays having meetings online. And so we are making them more efficient and effective. Yeah, right. Because it's the, the scheduling and the, the meeting software in one place. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I, I saw on your LinkedIn profile that I think, I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming now that it started from another company called CoachFox. Uh, which is an online marketplace for coaches, like to to schedule virtual 
sessions. Do I say that correctly? Yes, uh, you you said it correctly. Uh, what we started off with is this uh, coaching marketplace uh, because generally speaking, we wanted to make uh, professional services more accessible. And we started off with coaching and uh, built a marketplace where we connected coaches with clients. However, we have spent way too much time on uh, building the product and building the technology than on actually the marketplace itself. And mm -hmm. suddenly uh, we woke up and our technology was um, very strong and our clients were asking us whether they can use our technology also for their existing clients outside of the marketplace. And that is exactly how we then turned it into a SaaS product that can be used by any independent professional to manage their day-to-day -day meetings. So uh, we, we had a, a pivot quite early on uh, because of that realization. And mm -hmm. we are quite happy with that. And that's why we um, also have not been focusing on Coach Fox any longer. And we are fully focusing on Meet Fox now. Is, is Coach Fox still, still running or? It's still running and we're having meetings that are being enabled there and uh, people are being matched, but it's uh, really no longer our focus. Uh, mm -hmm. We are considering maybe later on uh, resuming that game, but for now we, are, we have limited resources and we're putting every every bit of our resources into Meet Fox because yeah. we see the biggest potential. Right. I, 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 looking at your LinkedIn profile, I don't completely understand how you got into... Uh, the coaching business, it looks like first you were in a plastics company and then similar at, at the same time in another plastics company and then all of a sudden uh, Coach Fox emerges. Can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it definitely looks a little confusing on my LinkedIn. So um, long story short, I, I studied international management and uh, right after my studies, I was actually a, a out and about to go abroad uh, to Japan to, to start a job. Uh, mm -hmm. But then suddenly um, life changed a little bit. Uh, my father unfortunately passed away and I suddenly had to take over his um, company. And that is why uh, I was suddenly uh, ending up in a plastics production company. And um, I was actually appointed a leadership position and was suddenly um, supposed to be uh, leading more than 120 employees. And uh, as I was in my mid-20s and I was completely lacking experiences um, and know-how of this industry, I was completely overwhelmed, right? I had no idea how to manage people, no idea about the company, about the industry. And uh, it was a pretty like, old and uh, old-fashioned company. So um, certain processes were just there for the last you know, decades. And so it was very difficult to really implement changes and um, get going in this company. And so my, at that time, I was um, then looking for a coach. And even though I really needed one in that instant, it ended up taking me five weeks until I found a coach and finally scheduled an appointment with it. And I just could not understand why in an era where you can literally book everything at, a, at the push of a button, like you can get an Uber with one click, you can buy a pizza with two clicks. But when it comes to professional services, it takes literally five weeks until you finally schedule an appointment. Mm -hmm. And um, on top of that, the whole industry, like generally speaking, professional services are just very intransparent. You usually don't know how much you're paying. You don't know how exactly um, a meeting should take place you don't know when the other person will be available and so that is why um, I 
the idea came up to make professional services more accessible. And that is then how Meetbox, uh, how Coachbox was created in the first place. But also with that vision in mind, that is how Meetbox was then turned into what it is today. Right. Because, yeah, I, I remember my, my wife at some point was looking for career coaching. And we ended up going actually in the end, after a lot of internet searching and stuff, we ended up going with the, the recommendation of a, of a friend of mine, which was funny because <laughs> if, if that is the best way to find uh, that coach, then there's, there's definitely something going on. Yeah, and that's really the problem of, of the industry and of many industries is that you oftentimes don't have the transparency that you have with other services and products when it comes to professional services. And you still oftentimes end up asking people for referrals instead of finding somebody online just because that transparency does not exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a, it's a big issue. You guys should come to come to Belgium as well. Of course, you, <laughs> you're not focusing on it so much right now. But. No, definitely. <laughs> it sounds like you grew up in a in an entrepreneurial family then. Your your dad was leading, was it what is his company, this plastics company? Or? Yeah, that's why there were two in my CV. So he had one that he started himself and then he had one that he also, uh, that his grandfather started and then he took over oh. and grew. And so, um, yeah, I definitely uh, come from an entrepreneurial background or an entrepreneurial family. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is, I guess, also why it was much easier for me to take that step and just decide to do my own thing just because it was something I, I've seen in my family happened so many times. My uncle also started his own company. So it was just, a, I guess, a more regular thing to do or a more normal thing to do. Um, and so the I wasn't as worried as I probably should have been when starting my company. I was completely naive uh, going into this. And so, um, yeah, that was an um, interesting experience. And now in hindsight, I would have definitely done a lot of things differently, but uh, it was... So what I thought was best at that time, and I'm happy that I took that choice, regardless. Yeah, yeah. But it looks like like before uh, you were sort of going the corporate track uh, instead. Is that uh, was was that what kind of motivation was behind that? What was what was your dream? Um, to be honest, I was in a very uh, in a in a management program that was very much targeted at a career um, either in consulting or in corporates. And uh, at that time, somehow startups, the whole startup industry wasn't really that much on on my radar. So (laughs) I was just, even though I knew I wanted to start a business eventually, I was not very involved in the startup ecosystem at that time. So um, when, when... when working besides my studies, I was always opting for, for jobs in a corporate world instead of going into a startup world. Um, and then once I had the idea, I did not even think, oh, I'm starting my own startup right now. I just decided, okay, I want to build a product. I want to build a platform. And it took way longer until I finally was really part of the startup ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's only when I learned more and more about how startups work and how how this whole industry is made up (laughs) yeah and 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 why why did it despite the fact that you knew you wanted to start a company why did you go to corporate track is it because you you didn't feel like you had the necessary experience yet or yeah so i thought that it it's something that i would want to do 
eventually when I'm much mm-hmm. older. Uh, at that point in time, I, I just felt like I need to make a career and I need to get a stable income and all of these sorts of things. Um, but then, as I said, life changed a little bit. And suddenly I was in a corporate um, environment, even though in a smaller corporate environment with my father's company. And even though I was something in between because I I was able to to really implement changes in the company and uh, I, I had more of the the management experience in in that um, in that company it was still a very corporate environment right mm-hmm. and so what I realized is that it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life while I was working in that company but also in, in the corporate jobs that I had before because I really hate routine and for me um I just, I just cannot take having the same or similar day and similar tasks every day. And of course, that was also true because I was right out of university. So tasks that you're getting usually in corporate jobs are not as exciting maybe in the beginning. But I was just, I just did not really like the environment of, of having not enough impact on a bigger scale. And I really wanted to have an impact and I really wanted to to drive um, a company and to drive a company to change. Mm-hmm. But also I wanted personally, I wanted the excitement and the challenge and I wanted to do different things every day. And so that is why um, I then somehow realized that that's what I want to do for the rest of my life, or at least for the next few years. And so yeah. that step. Yeah. It, it didn't really feel like your, your actions had like a direct impact in a corporate, but also not very much in the, in, in in the 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 two plastics companies because there's they still had this size and this history and it was hard to push them in a different track exactly i mean it's um oftentimes when processes already exist it's just much more difficult especially when you're new than in a company and trying to uh, advocate for a lot of change it's, it takes years until it's actually in place mm-hmm. and uh, for me the environment uh, even though it was extremely interesting and I learned a ton, it was just a little too slow for my for my taste. Um, yeah. I, like, I like fast-paced environments and uh, that is definitely something I found in the startup, even though it's sometimes maybe a little too fast. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the different companies that you work, because it's like I'm counting like at least five or six or something. What, what was it that you that you learned that you then took into coach fox and now meet fox uh in terms of culture and processes and what what is it that you're implementing right now because of this experience oh that's a great question i think that one thing that i always think back about uh, on is the other the processes that I've experienced in other bigger companies. And even though I really hated processes when I was working at those companies, I now, um, as a founder and CEO of a company, really ent- I really appreciate when there are processes in place and those processes are being followed. So um, I think that is something that I only learned to appreciate now that I have to implement it myself. And even though we don't have very strict processes and a ton of processes, I still really um, understand why big corporates need them in order to survive. And I think that is something that I was really uh, learning from these experiences. 
um, and this is at the same time also structures, not only hierarchical structures, but general any any kind of structures within a, a company, and then also the politics within a company. I think that even though in a startup you don't have them a lot, uh, you still have to know how politics work and how uh, corporates work when you're trying to sell as a startup to a corporate. Mm -hmm. So really understanding how politics within a company work and how hierarchies work in order to then uh, successfully navigate your startup or selling your startup into a corporate. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely a, a good experience to take away and, and then understand how that is not just the one person you're selling to that uh, is going to make the decision, but there's a lot of uh, like uh, different things playing in the decision. Exactly, yeah. But about processes, what, what is it exactly that you now appreciate about them? Because we know that a lot of people, especially in startups, are a bit afraid of processes because... They might make you less flexible and, you know, a lot of people had experiences in corporates and they know they hated the processes. Uh, but why, why do you think they're actually useful? And, and maybe also, why do you think you hated them in these corporates? I think I, I hated them in the corporates because I did not understand the reason behind them. Uh, I just felt like it was additional administrative work that had zero reason <laughs> behind it. Yeah. Um, but then that is exactly, oh, now that I understand the reason behind it, that's the reason why I'm really appreciating processes. Um, because I think that processes do eliminate errors or not eliminate, but reduce errors. Um, they are reducing, um, the, uh, they are reducing the risk of, of doing too so it's, it's kind of, it's, but even though you are doing a lot of things in order to maintain processes, they keep you from sticking to a process and not doing things that are outside of the process that may, may waste time, for example. Um, in our company, as an example, we have uh, put in processes in order to um, make product decisions. And even though as a startup, you should be flexible and you should be uh, going after the, what the customer wants in a product. We now have processes, almost like a checklist of uh, certain things that need to be true in order to start developing a certain feature for our, for our clients. And that is, for example, one process we had to implement because what we were doing in the past was we were just getting a customer uh, feedback or a customer feature request. And we just started building it because we wanted to make that one customer happy. And uh, we were just very flexible, right? But we weren't really yeah. um, following a process, nor were we doing the right thing. And um, in that example, it really helped us stick to what is important in a company. Um, yeah. At the same time, also in sales, for example, what I really appreciate in terms of processes is um, what we've implemented very, uh, very um, strictly is note-taking and documentation, which also is something that I hated in my previous job experiences. And I'm definitely not a great uh, note taker or a person that likes to document things. But what we've realized is that if your day-to-day -day becomes super, super busy, you just simply forget things. If you don't write them down, you simply forget what you talk to uh, with a client if you don't write it down. So these sorts of processes and um, that 
you just need to stick to in order to keep the company going and growing are uh, just really important. And we definitely learned it the hard way because sometimes we had meetings with clients and completely forgot what we talked about the last time because we forgot to write it down. So yeah, <laughs> those, those sorts of things. No, that them. makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think processes sort of keep you stick to what's important because you, you decide together how you're going to shape them and they're grounded into some sort of in a reason, hopefully, uh, of course, sometimes you need to redo them. And that's maybe what sometimes what's, what's not happening in corporates. And then you have this sort of feeling that there, there's a disconnect between the processes and what's really important. But um, I think they also generally for us, they reduce communication. Right. Uh, we collaborate much more smoothly because we know exactly why we did stuff. Uh, we document things well, uh, which, is, which is not a good point both in sales and in, um, and in product development. If you don't keep track of every uh, interaction and decision, uh, then it's very hard to, to backtrack why, why we did certain things um, and build on top of them. Right. Um, I actually remember there was a, a time in, a, in the previous company where I worked. It was a, a management, well, marketing consultancy, let's call it. And in the beginning, we didn't have uh, processes. And um, that made it very hard to keep everything organized. It was a little bit of a chaos back then. It was a good chaos. We were growing and all, uh, but, but nonetheless chaos. Uh, and actually, another good reason there than to implement the processes because was that things didn't seem too repeatable and it, it was also hard to sell the company because of mm -hmm. this reason, because it just seemed like we were doing stuff that was working, but we didn't really know how <laughs> or <Right>. why. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened to us as well. So yeah, see that. Yeah. And the other thing is that I, I definitely am guilty of having implemented processes that later on turned out not to be really useful. And so we had to kill processes along the way many times as well. And um, I think that's where it's really important to also keep conversations up with your team members and uh, always ask for feedback as well, whether a process is actually helpful and whether also everybody yeah. understands why certain things are being done. Because uh, that's the other problem is if, if you are, implementing processes but not telling everyone why you're implementing processes or why it is useful and people don't get them then i think it's creating a lot of frustration True. for the team and so definitely happened to us before where we just either miscommunicated our processes or implemented processes that actually turned out to be kind of useless and so i think questioning your own processes sometimes is also quite important Definitely, yeah. We actually have a, a bi-weekly meeting, which we call the team meeting. Mm -hmm. and we discuss uh, what went wrong and what's going well in the past two weeks. And a big part of that is identifying how we should change processes because we, we try to make sure that these kind of things, uh, if it's negative stuff, don't happen again. Uh, and if it's positive things, that they happen again. Uh, <laughs> so a big part of that is seeing like, how can we change once and for all so that this happens less or more which is usually changing a process 
And then I, indeed, it's important to know why you're doing it. It's important that it's useful, obviously, uh, that there's some sort of output, but also that the input is not too big, that it doesn't take too much time to run the process, um, that it's just a, a simple enough thing. Right. And luckily, there's so many, there's so many technological, so much technology and so many tools that you can use in order to make processes work for you without without requiring a lot of manual time, oftentimes too. So yeah, and now we can uh, plug our SaaS products. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's indeed an interesting thing, and. one of the reasons why we probably both sell to SMBs is that SMBs can sort of um, align processes with software uh, and they don't need the software to align to their processes. Um, right. Processes and software somehow meet while in an enterprise, they set the process and then the software needs to follow the process. That's why a company like Salesforce exists and why there's so many consultants uh, customizing Salesforce is basically because the software needs to follow the process and there's no flexibility to follow the software to a certain extent. No, definitely. That's that's a very good point. Even though there are sometimes SMBs that really have strict processes that they want to follow and then they're looking desperately for for companies that are matching those processes. Yeah. Uh, those are the, the high maintenance clients that we probably all know. <laughs> then. I yeah. usually be happy with a uh, general SaaS product. Maybe there should be some sort of uh, matching matching service with the processes and uh, software. But anyway, it's uh, we're going a bit, bit a new business idea direction, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For for anyone listening, if you want to start a SaaS business or a marketplace, in this case, I guess exactly this might be an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, what was your first job uh, to completely change gears? What was your first job about exactly? My very first job, I was actually always working a little bit in my father's company, just like helping out um, Mm -hmm. in some of these areas. And my very first job, hmm, I think I was, yeah, I was, I mean, babysitting, (laughs) the typical teenage job. Uh, nothing uh, on the IT side yeah, at all. But after yeah. babysitting, after after, after this, it really seemed to My father's company, I was going then into um, the hotel industry. So I was working as a receptionist um, and doing my studies and then um, going more into the tourism industry. Then realized that that's not where I, uh, even though I love tourism and I love to travel and I love everything about tourism, I don't want to work in tourism. And that is uh, why I then decided to go more into other areas of business. Um, and then I actually ended up going into the automotive industry and um, gained some experiences there, uh, but was also not exactly what was making me super happy. I yeah. think that I was always super interested in software and in um optimization and making things more efficient, making processes more efficient, back to the processes. <laughs> so um, that is what really made me motivated and interested. And that is also why starting my own thing was then uh, making me so excited. Yeah. And what makes you so excited about the about the processes behind Meat Fox? 
what is it that 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 drives you there every day and where you say like yeah we're going to implement this extra feature because it's going to bring us better to goal x uh, what is that exactly right um so for me i i personally uh, believe that the anti Actually, it's a, it's a big trend <laughs> that um, is just there right now that there are more and more freelancers out there, more and more people um, making a living with their um, services that they provide independently. And at the same time, um, there are many people that are gaining a, are doing a side hustle with selling their own time, their own expertise, their own services. And um, as this trend is exploding right now, especially also accelerated through the pandemic, there is just a huge, um, a huge uh, population of people who are struggling every day, figuring out how to set up their processes in order to make a better living, in order to be more successful, in order to grow their business. And that is what makes me excited: is the fact that I truly believe that with our software, companies can focus on growing their business without having to deal with administration every day. And without having to deal with back and forth emails every day, but instead they can really lean back and watch their calendar fill up and watch their bank account fill up at the same time, and that is what makes me excited. Right, it's all these for all for all the loners out there that want to make a living. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. yeah. That's uh, and 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 if you think about uh wake waking up every day what what feels most exciting about what you're going to do that day uh is it is it the is it the being in touch with customers is it building something is it optimizing the next little thing is it leading the team is it what 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 is it exactly that drives you there i think it's really the combination it definitely depends on the day um i love working on the product. Um, so I really love thinking of next features, next um, improvements to the product that will make a difference to the clients we serve. And I also really love getting feedback from clients. So uh, most of the time, I really enjoy client conversations, unless uh, they're very unhappy, then I don't <laughs> like them as much. But usually, um, that's what is really um, the most exciting part for me is working with clients and working on the product. And then the third thing is definitely working with our team. I and mean, we have an incredible team and I'm super thankful that I can every day wake up and have a fun team around me that um, is just as motivated as I am to uh, bring this company to the next level. So it's been a real, it's been a real fun time. And um, yeah, those three aspects are what I really love about, the, about working my own thing. Yeah. How big is your team right now? We are... 10 people full-time 10 people and and what is the sort of uh what are the sort of traits you select people by and, and the sort of culture you're trying to cultivate right um oh we've done so many mistakes when hiring but finally i think we've really figured out what kind of people we want in our team and we've recently done um an incredible job of finally having a really good team that i'm super happy about um, one of the biggest traits that I'm looking for in a person is um, if the person is willing to take initiative um, and is willing to work independently, especially as we are a remote team. I think um, that it's 
impossible for a founder to be handholding uh, team members uh, just because uh, you're not in the same office, but also because as a founder, you should not spend your time handholding anybody. And so looking at um, people that are self-starters that are interested in, in creating things and um, in guiding things and leading things is, is really important. And um, yeah, so I'm always looking for people that have demonstrated in their past experiences that they are um, motivated, intrinsically motivated to create things and to set up um, processes, features, uh, tasks for themselves. Yeah, to, to improve things without needing anyone to tell them how to do it. Or... Exactly, yeah. To, um, and I guess it, it really takes a certain uh, personality to... Um, to see things that are broken and wanting to fix them. Because I think a lot of people are, um, they, they kind of know what's broken, but they also don't want to take the effort to, to actually fix them. And I think those people that really make an effort to fix um, things or improve things or even implement new things are the ones that you want to have in a startup. But they're difficult to find, of course. Um, and so... It's definitely a struggle to find exactly those people that will move your startup forward. But uh, once you find them, they can, they really move the needle. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely, these people are hard to find and they might start their own company. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm always saying that I'm, I want to find people that want to start their own company, but haven't done so yet because they still want to learn maybe from another company. Uh, but that have that intrinsic drive to one day start their own thing, even though it's also risky because you may lose them uh, sooner than you think because they actually go down that route and start their own company. But until then, I mean, I found uh, great people that have joined our team that I think most of the people in our team right now would want to start their own business later on. So Yeah, that's cool. Time. And how do you keep them in the meantime? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that they are quite, especially those kind of people that want to start their own thing are, I believe, satisfied when they get a lot of autonomy and when they can take on a lot of responsibility and leadership as well. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't have a huge hierarchy. Um, it's really easy to do so in our company. Mm-hmm. And if 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 I uh, would ask you where you would you want to take Meet Fox, like is it a sort of are you thinking of of taking it a bit slower and more the bootstrapped way, or are you thinking of launching it into hyper growth at some moment and reaching VC funding, or is there another track you're you're thinking about? Um, so we currently still at the in a way bootstrapping phase. I mean, we did get investment, but we are uh, really trying to grow sustainably for a while until we really feel like we we know exactly who we are um serving and our and what our uh, acquisition uh strategy is uh because we're still a little bit in that experimenting phase where we're trying different things and some work some don't and so uh that is where we are currently at ideally i would like to we uh, see money uh, next year and then really grow it from there and um, so that is 
where we at right now. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that the competition has, especially throughout the pandemic, become really, really strong. And there is a lot of pressure from competitors who have raised a ton of VC money. So uh, surviving in that space is sometimes a little more difficult if you're just trying to grow a sustainable business, which is yeah. why on the one hand, we like we would like to go into that direction, in the, into the VC uh, right direction. And at the same time, I think we are kind of forced to go into that direction as well. Yeah. So it's also the only way to survive, you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I th- I'm sure there are many companies that would disagree with that. And I think that if you are creating a product that is really loved by customers and that has a very strong differentiating factor, um, then probably it's also possible without that. But um, in our area, at least, there's a lot of competition from very similar companies. So even if you're creating a differentiating factor, you still need um, some deep pockets in order to make people aware that you have these differentiating factors. Right. Yeah, that's it. that seems to be actually like a wider problem in SaaS because there's so much. Uh, and people don't know exactly where to look. They might go to some review site, which would then rank stuff in a very, how can I say, without giving too much uh, side info into how it's ranked, just uh, uh, either people uh, pay to be ranked or you just have a lot of reviews and then they put you more towards the top or whatever. Right. Um, It's very hard to keep communicating your differentiation in a great way unless you have the funds to just like splurge and and say it everywhere uh but then even you know with all the marketing messages out there that are sort of sometimes a bit over overdone um it's it's hard to make that point definitely how how do you do it at salesflare what's your goal to uh we we uh definitely can't compete with the the huge budgets that some of our competitors have they're really uh, uh huge <laughs> um so we are always trying to look for other channels uh focus more on relationships uh with our customers but also with um partners of all kinds uh, I'm getting on a lot of podcasts, uh, which may not seem like a scalable thing, which is why most of our competitors don't really do that. Uh, but it is relatively scalable. I actually have a guide about it on our blog. Um, my colleague Carrie wrote it. Yeah, I read it actually. It's a great article. I shared it with all my team. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's that's one of the ways. Uh, other other things we do is. Um, just making customers really happy, uh, always communicating back to them when we do something that they asked. Uh, it's uh, we're, we're we're thinking of of lots of different ways. It's it's really focusing on onboarding. It's uh, offering great support. I think we're even ranked number is it one or two on G two for support uh, across all CRMs. It's focusing wow. on on this kind of things instead of. The, the VC-funded sort of ad splurging, uh, which would never be profitable for us. Mm. Just because to compete with other systems, 
um, who in some cases earn like 10 times more than we do on a customer per year, uh, we would we would have to bid so high that in the end, it wouldn't even be profitable to run those ads. And sure, we can get VC money for it and all that, but I don't think it even make a huge difference considering the scale of, uh, of some of the other companies. Right. So your advice would be to do things that are maybe unscalable in the eyes of competitors, but do make a difference and yeah. focus on providing the best customer support and other things that they can't provide. Yeah, do the harder stuff and also think about uh, what they can't deliver. Uh, right. For instance, they can't deliver great customer support that is that is personable and and where where it's it's sort of like we're uh, communicating with friends and it's always the same person communicating with them and all these kind of things. Uh, if you compete uh, if you compete with a big company, they most likely have a huge customer support team with a, a very variable sort of quality where you always get a different person that doesn't know what happened before and all those kind of things. Mm. Um, so it's, it's relatively easy to compete with that on that level. Um, then on some other levels, it's harder on ads, for instance, it's just almost impossible. Right. But do you think that by providing incredible customer support, you are attracting more people that are, requiring more customer support because they're not maybe tax savvy enough and therefore it's more effort to really get them and maintain them and spend time with them? Uh, there is definitely a balance there. I know of some companies that went way too far into the into that direction. Yes, uh, but that didn't happen to us. Um, it's partly, I think the way you go about your product, um, whether you make it simple enough and customizable enough in there um, and how you deal with your um, product development and prioritization, uh, because you can definitely go that route, um, but then it's, it's probably not such a great fit for SMBs. You will never, never make it if you keep doing that. Uh, more for enterprises. So you sort of have to make a choice there, I think. A am I going to go to um, uh, offer all this kind of customization and consultancy and go for bigger companies or or try to do it with a, the, the real product approach and go for SMBs? Right. Yeah. It's an interesting challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not easy. And I, I'm sure it affects a lot of SaaS companies, uh, this kind of conundrum. Right, definitely. What, what is it exactly that, that keeps you up at night, uh, like lately? Uh, for us, it's really um, the monetization piece that is keeping me up at night. Um, I So the good thing is our clients really love our product and they are um, using it very actively and um, we are also seeing a good growth in, in new users, but I think the, the biggest challenge is really figuring out how to monetize, especially small businesses or even the independent professionals that oftentimes are also just starting off with their business that may not have the deep pockets to pay for a software. 
and that are also a little spoiled because there's so much there's so much software available for free. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why we have also given away our product uh, for free for a large extent, and we have a free tier in order to uh, give people the, the chance to use Meatfox without having to, to pay for it. Uh, but really converting people into a pay tier has been one of the bigger challenges for us, um, which is why we are more and more forced also to, to acquire uh, more of the medium enterprises um, to use our our system or even larger enterprises. And so um, that is kind of the, the struggle that we're having is to, while we have our vision to help the small businesses and the independent professionals, we are um, in a way forced to look at the bigger ones uh, just because we need to monetize more and more of our traffic. Yeah, they are sort of needed to, to fund uh, what you're doing for the small businesses. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then figuring out how to um, think about alternative ways to monetize and eventually uh, make Meatfox a successful and profitable company. Uh, maybe even if that doesn't mean, maybe without even charging for the SMB product. So those mm -hmm. are the things that I'm constantly considering and thinking about and that keep me up at night. <laughs> It's how can we help those independent professionals without, without charging too much for, for us? Yeah. And while while somehow competing with these, these big players out there, um, which might take a slightly different approach there. Right. Do they take a different approach or is it... In, in comparison to, to big players? No, towards small businesses where you're trying to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, we are also actually doing a lot of what you also just mentioned in terms of really helping our clients. We help them with the setup. We help them with um, with a lot of um, help and support throughout that their usage whenever they, they use somebody available. And it's usually the same faces and same people. And um, I think this personal approach is really something that they, uh, they appreciate a lot. And... Mm -hmm. um, also is a reason why people have shifted away from the big players to us. But I, I'm worried that this is not going to be something we can sustain for the long term as we grow and as we get more users, we have to figure out ways to automate certain things and then slowly but surely you end up becoming more, the, uh, more similar to the big players. So um, trying to figure out how to best maintain that um, that notion of putting the customer first, putting the customer's needs first and building a product and a business around that instead mm -hmm. of building a product and a business around growth and around just like making more money or making, showing more better numbers and better metrics for VCs. And that's yeah. what, yeah, I would rather do the first thing. So I would rather build something for our clients and really keep put them first. Um, but it is also, of course, difficult to scale as quickly as you need to as a company in order to um, and and maintain that notion of it. Yeah, your, your vision almost seems incompatible with uh, <laughs> the VC approach. And if if you if you would, excuse me, that is my dog barking at another dog. Um, but um, if you find one, you would you would really have to make sure that they they follow the same vision because otherwise. Um, 
you'd be you'd be quickly off vision. Exactly, exactly. But I think there's a lot of examples of of companies that have grown really quickly and really well with a um, with providing so much value to the clients and really putting the clients first. And by doing so, having clients being so enthusiastic about the product that they start referring, that they start um, talking to everybody about it. And uh, so there are definitely some incredible examples of companies that have done a great job by just doing that without spending a lot of ad money. Um, but yeah, definitely a big challenge to face. Yeah. We're closing in on the on the one hour mark. So um, into learnings. What what is the latest good book you've read, and why did you choose to read it exactly? Who? Um, to be honest, I had I've been a little too busy, and oftentimes I just fall asleep the moment I I go to bed without even being able to read one page of a book. Um, I guess that's the start of life, but. Um, what I do read a lot is those Blinkist uh, small summaries of, of books because they mm-hmm. do give you like a quick intro and some quick key learnings, which I kind of like. And I like to think about different approaches to business. Um, interesting, you know, the last book that I read was um, The Lean Startup, which is not a book. I mean, it's been already so old. <laughs> it's been around for such a long time. Uh, but I actually never came around to read it until recently and um i think that there that whole um notion of um tra- testing all the time and learning quickly and and moving on quickly is one thing that i've really been putting into practice into in our company recently as well i mean we've also been always been doing that but we've been um going more into that direction recently because of that book Oh, yeah, it never hurts to to read some classics, I guess. Even if you're <laughs> you're you're way after it was written, that always happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> the, the books that stay relevant for a long time are the ones to to read, I think. So you'll often be way after they were written. Right. Yeah. Last question. Uh if you were to start over with Meat Fox, what would you have done differently? I would have probably picked a, I would have made a better decision upfront on picking a niche and then I would have stuck with that niche. Um, I think one of the problems that we were facing was that we, in the beginning, started off with coaches, but then we decided, oh, actually there's so many other independent professionals that also need our product. And so we decided to uh, go a little broader into any kind of independent professionals. And even though you would think that they all have similar needs, their needs are actually completely different and they are all looking for completely different products. And so um, that put us into the difficult situation that we had to um, constantly change our prioritization because at one point in the beginning, we had coaches as our biggest uh, target group and then it suddenly shifted and suddenly there were more financial advisors and then there were more lawyers. And so we always had to shift our product a little bit to make the next target group happier. And I think that was a big mistake in hindsight that we could have avoided if we just um, decided on one target group and made the best product for that target group until 
they all use us and then we would have gone to the, go, continue to the next target group. And I think that is one, one advice that you always hear from mentors, focus on a niche, pick a niche, don't go too broad. And even though we did hear that, we did not believe it until I think recently. And now we are kind of at a spot where it's maybe a little too late, but we're still trying to figure out how we can niche down a little more. Yeah. Do you think it would have been coaches? I don't think so. But I think we, if we had done a better job in market research upfront, we would have figured out a better target group than coaches um, for the simple reason that coaches are um, an interesting crowd. They are very, there are many coaches out there uh, because there's a bit of a supply demand problem where you have way too much supply of coaches and there's just not enough demand which leads mm -hmm. to the fact that a lot of the coaches that are out there don't really make a living out of coaching. And if you don't make a living out of coaching, it's rather difficult to justify spending money on software if you are not um, earning that money back easily. And so that is one thing that we've realized is that this market is a little um, difficult in that sense, especially when it comes to monetization and also frequent usage. Yeah, makes and then sense. And professionals that just have meetings all day, day in, day out, that are, that are dying for a software that helps them manage their meetings in a more efficient way. Um, so I think doing a little bit of uh, a better job of uh, market research upfront and really talking to all professionals and not having a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where you ask the right questions and then you hear that coaches really need your product and you hear that coaching is a great market, but actually questioning uh, your findings and and uh, looking at them in a critical way and then um, maybe changing direction based on your findings is something we should have done better. Thank you for being so open about this and thank you for all the wise advice. Uh, it was great to have you on Farter Coffee. Thank you so much for your time as well. And thanks for having me today. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.